Thank you for downloading this sermon from Holy Trinity Reformed Church. If you live in the vicinity of Mooresville, Indiana, come join us as we rebuild Christ's Holy Church out of the ash heaps of American fundamentalism and evangelicalism through repentance, revival, and reformation. If you would like more information about Holy Trinity Reformed Church, or if you do not live in our area but would like to support this ministry, please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. And it's a busy time period. A lot of things going on and a lot of uh, anxiousness about things in the world and things going on in our lives and all kinds of disruptions and all kinds of distractions. And they are obstacles that we must overcome because we have been given an opportunity to shine forth as the lights, as the light of Christ in a very dark world. Too many times we have failed to see Christ high and lifted up and exalted on his throne. And as a result, we walk around wringing our hands. We walk around in unbelief and skepticism when all the time Christ is ruling and reigning and working, shaking this earth. He is still on the same plan that he established. He is still working off of the same orders that he has commissioned. It is us who have failed to see the mighty hand of God at work in our lives and in this day. And so my hope this morning is that we will be renewed with faith, with eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Look in Acts chapter 1 and verse number, or excuse me, Acts chapter 2 and verse number 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues or languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then if you skip on down to the end of the chapter with all the events that take place, here in Acts chapter 2, it says that then those in verse 41 who gladly received his word, talking about the sermon that was preached by Peter, were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And then it goes on to state that they continued steadfastly in the devotions of the church. And then we see even further that that continued to grow more and more and more. 
This is the word of the Lord, and it is eternally true. This is the seventh part of our series. At least I think it's the seventh part. I've kind of quit counting, but uh, of our series, Empowered by the Spirit. And it takes us to this very important and significant event here in Acts chapter 2. It is significant because it is associated with the event that had taken place 50 days before in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the first fruit. Passover and the feast of unleavened bread and the connotations there with the harvest. And then we have this day of Pentecost, which is also associated with a festival of the harvest and first fruits. And this is the day when the early believers experienced the fulfillment of the promise of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2 reveals the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples, which, makes, which marks the fulfillment of certain Old Testament promises, the fulfillment of Jesus' promise, and the marking of this pivotal event, the climactic event in history. You could say that it is the dot on the I, this critical, crucial, and decisive gift to the church for the fulfilling of the mission that it had been entrusted to the body of Christ, the very mission of Christ himself, the very mission of his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. This is what it's all about. The reason why we are focusing on this topic is because today we are like the believers found in Acts chapter 19. Notice Luke says that they were disciples in that passage, these people that Paul met when he was passing through their region and he came upon these disciples there in Ephesus and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. That is the reason why we have been focused on this topic. It's something that we need to know here in 2023. It's something that we have forgotten. It's something that we have neglected. And many times, I'm afraid, it's something that we have resisted. Well, the deconstruction of Western Christianity is so complete today that it is as if we are saying, maybe not direct verbal communication, but it is implied and it is very direct in our actions. We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Yes, we will acknowledge the Holy Spirit in biblical narratives, but we do not have much, if any, of an active and functioning role of the Holy Spirit today. So we are examining this topic to a certain degree in order to help 
move us further along. And this is not complete, it's not exhaustive, but it's an attempt to give a little more understanding and a little more application to the subject while remembering that we have been deconstructed and that we live in a day of apostasy, so we have limitations for the moment. But our purpose is to make progress so that these limitations in our understanding become less and provide further opportunity for future progress. Therefore, our purpose this morning is to consider some key aspects of this transformative event and its impact upon the believers and the growth of the early church, understanding that this fulfillment of the promise of the Holy Spirit has been essential for the growth of the church in history, and it is essential for us today. The anticipation of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the people of God can be traced throughout the biblical narrative. The promise of the Holy Spirit's coming in this fashion was foretold by the prophets, and it became a central theme in the teachings of Jesus during his earthly ministry. And notice we are talking about something different, even though we find prophets where the Holy Spirit came upon them in the Old Testament. We have men of God that the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they even performed miracles all throughout the Old Testament. But there was something about this day that was coming that was more significant. And the reason is because it was the coming of the Holy Spirit in fulfillment. In the Old Testament... The old administration of the covenant of grace looked forward in promise. Now we, in the new covenant, in this new administration of the covenant of grace, we look back to Christ in fulfillment. And the same holds true with this event here in Acts chapter 2. This was the fulfillment of the empowerment of God's people on this earth. So, the disciples and early believers carried this anticipation that had built up all throughout the prophecies of the Old Testament and all throughout the events that transpired throughout history leading us to this day and this event. And so they carried this anticipation with them, eagerly awaiting the fulfillment of this promise. We see the prophetic element of this anticipation and fulfillment in our text, but we see here in Peter's sermon that he says this in verse 14. says, as he stood up and raised up his voice, he says, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days. What is Peter saying? Yeah, listen. What you see transpiring and going on here, it's not because these men are drunk. It can't be because they're drunk because it's too early. 
That was his argument. <laughs> For those who have ears to hear, that was his argument. It's too early. Too early in the day. They're not drunk as you suppose. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. What is happening right now is the fulfillment of prophecy. These are the last days. And God is fulfilling that which he has promised. See, it will come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Peter is saying, this is the day. This is it. You see, that should be exciting. We live in that age. The fulfillment of these things. And then secondly, notice Peter is declaring without any hesitation that the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 was the fulfillment of the prophecies of the outpouring of the Spirit upon the people of God to make disciples of all nations. This is a declaration not of defeat. It's not a declaration of retreat. It's a declaration of victory. To go forth and conquer. This is a great day of the Lord in reference to the fulfillment of the promise of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And it is the great day of the Lord that began or inaugurated along with the first coming of the Lord. And it will be consummated in the second coming of the Lord. But this is the great day. This new covenant age is the great day of the Lord. And it is why it is marked by the words in the year of our Lord. We didn't mark time like that in, in B.C. It was before Christ. Now it's in the year of our Lord. You see, this day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 is the fulfillment or the earnest of the Spirit, the down payment for the empowering of the church, which is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18 through 20, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, all things that I have commanded. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of this age. This day.
This was also reaffirmed in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. To the end of the age. Third, this is the making of a new day when the people of God would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill or to accomplish the promises and prophecies in the Old Testament, such as in Isaiah 11, which declares, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Who is that? Jesus, right? There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, the Messiah, the Christ. Has he come? And a branch shall grow out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of the eyes. Nor decide by the hearing of the ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf, and the, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play by a cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. What's he talking about? Bringing peace, right? For they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day, There shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. Or how about Isaiah chapter 60? Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and the deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light and the kings of the brightness of their rising, of your rising. Let, lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar and your daughter shall be nursed at your side. Then shall you see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. Then it goes on to describe this in the same chapter. The sun shall no longer be your, be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you, but the Lord will be to you an everlasting light, and your God, your glory Your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. Also your people shall all be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. How about Micah chapter 4? 
Now it shall come to pass in the latter days. And we got the bookends to understand the latter days. The first coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. Those are the latter days. Or we could refer to it as the age or the day. But it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. And people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to tell to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Then there is this prophecy in Habakkuk chapter 2 where it is said that in the coming day, from the Old Testament point of view, the coming day, the new day, the new heavens, the new earth, the new creation, this day of the Lord, there is coming a day that the nations and people will weary themselves to oppose the knowledge and the reign of the Lord. But the earth will be filled. It will. It will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Zechariah 14.9 And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. These and many other prophecies that we call messianic prophecies promise that the Lord will be successful in his day. In the day of the Lord, in this age, in the year of our Lord. So here in Luke's account of the day of Pentecost, he captures the inauguration of the launching of that which has been anticipated. The empowerment of the church for this new day. The new age of reconciling the earth back to God. This new work of recreation. recreation, The dying of the old man and the resurrection of new creatures in Christ. The refining of the old earth and the old creation into new heavens and a new earth. And that anticipation, expectation, and excitement comes through when he says in, when Luke says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Now, don't be like the foolish or the skeptics in our time who want to lessen the statement of Luke to simplify that he only really meant a day on a calendar had come. No, he meant all the types and shadows and prophecies and promises had fully come. This was not just a day on the calendar that had come 
when all the structures that had been established in the Old Testament, all the prophecies, all the planning and strategies, and all the promises concerning the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to transform this earth was initiated in full operation and power. That's what he's signifying. This statement signifies that the appointed time had arrived. The long-awaited moment when the promise of the Holy Spirit's outpouring was finally realized upon the people of God to go forth and establish and advance and to conquer this earth for the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. And that's why it is proclaimed in joyous exaltation In Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. The day of Pentecost is one of the several festivals in the Old Testament. Old Testament Israel had certain festivals that they were to keep. These were the types and shadows and prophecies and promises in the Old Covenant, which included the weekly Sabbath festival. It included Passover, unleavened bread, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Firstfruits, the Feast of Weeks, or as we know it as Pentecost, The Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles or Ingathering. But Pentecost is one of those festivals in the Old Testament. Now, it wasn't known by Pentecost. It was known as the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest in the Old Testament. Pentecost is a Greek-derived name in the New Testament, which simply means 50th. And it was originally associated more with the aspect of harvest. So Pentecost was an Old Testament religious festival for the people of God, primarily a thanksgiving uh, for the first fruits in relation to the harvest, but it was also later associated with a remembrance of the law given by God to Moses on Mount Sinai. So although Pentecost was observed and celebrated seven full weeks after the wave offering or the uh, first fruits at Passover, it was also in itself a harvest festival and essentially a second first fruits festival and offering, not to be confused with the first one, the first fruits offering during the days of unleavened bread at Passover. But the feast of weeks that we call Pentecost was the conclusion of the grain harvest, especially in relation to the barley harvest and the first fruits of the wheat harvest. In the New Testament, Jesus is the first fruits at Passover, by the way. At Passover and the resurrection. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the conclusion of the grain harvest and the first fruits of the wheat harvest, which has great significance in Jesus' teachings, by the way. Talked a lot about harvest and wheat. 
So there's this natural anticipation and expectation that is built into this festival from its very beginning. Because it is a thanksgiving and a rejoicing. Of course, there's work associated with this festival as well. But we find in the New Testament fulfillment of this festival that the anticipation leading up to the day was marked also by expectation and longing. Jesus had instructed his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they had received power from on high. They gathered together in unity and prayer, seeking God's fulfillment of his promise. And this period of waiting was filled with a sense of expectancy as they trusted in God's faithfulness to bring about the next phase of his redemptive plan. So there are three things that you need to know about Pentecost that will help you understand Acts 2 a little more. Pentecost was a pilgrim festival. That meant that according to Old Testament law, all the adult uh, men of Israel, or those who were proselytes, would come from wherever they were living to Jerusalem and personally be in attendance during this celebration. Second, Pentecost was a holiday. No servile work was to be done. So everything was closed up. It was a day to celebrate. Three, There were certain celebrations and sacrifices and offerings which were prescribed by the law for the day of Pentecost. On Pentecost, the high priest would take two loaves of freshly baked wheat bread and offer them before the Lord. And the wheat bread was to be made from newly harvested wheat, the first fruits of the wheat. So when the day finally came... It was met with great joy and excitement, just as there was great anticipation and excitement when Jesus, the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, entered into the world to begin this great and glorious day of Christ the Lord. The arrival of the promised Holy Spirit brought with it an incarnated manifestation of God's power and presence. The disciples were filled with the Spirit, equipping them for the mission that they had been commissioned and entrusted by Jesus. They spoke in different languages, enabling them to effectively communicate the message of the gospel to the people from various nations and cultures who had gathered in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. The joy and excitement experienced on that day was a result of the realization that God's promise had been fulfilled. The long-awaited, empowering presence of the Holy Spirit had come, empowering the believers to expand God's kingdom and carry the message of salvation to the ends of the earth. Therefore, Luke says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, from that moment forward, the early believers continued to live in the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit experiencing the ongoing work of the Spirit in their lives and growth in the church. The anticipation and expectation had given way to a deep sense of fulfillment and purpose as they embarked upon their mission to proclaim the gospel to every nation, tribe, race, and tongue. The anticipation of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the people of God was a long journey through history. Marked by longing, waiting, 
and expectation. The arrival of the day of Pentecost brought with it great joy and excitement as the promise was finally fulfilled. The believers recognized the significance of this day that had arrived and finally fulfilled. They recognized the significance as they were filled with the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit propelling them into a new phase of God's redemptive plan. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit marked a turning point in the expansion of God's work and kingdom. Therefore, it ignited a passion among the early church to reach the world with this message of salvation. So I want to just point out real quickly... A few different things. First of all, notice the persevering in unity. They were in one accord in one place in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. So as the day of Pentecost arrived, the disciples in their devotion and anticipation remained steadfast in their unity. They were united in purpose and with hearts aligned for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. They gathered together in one place, unified as one body. And this unity prepared the groundwork for the extraordinary manifestation of the Holy Spirit's power that was about to unfold. And then secondly, notice the heavenly encounter, hearing from heaven in Acts chapter 2 and verse 2. It was a moment that would change the course of history. The disciples suddenly heard a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind, capturing their attention, of course, creating all in wonder among them and curiosity among the people gathered there in Jerusalem. This divine encounter was a powerful confirmation of the fulfillment of Jesus' promise, signaling the presence and activity of the Holy Spirit in the work of the church. Three, notice the astonishing sign, divided tongues of fire in Acts 2, 3. So accompanying the sound from heaven, there was this remarkable sign that appeared before them, divided tongues resembling fire resting upon each of the disciples. It signified the impartation of the Holy Spirit's presence and power and igniting in them a fervency and passion to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ to the world. And then four, notice fulfilled with the Holy Spirit, empowered for kingdom service, Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. Here they experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit. They were filled to overflowing with the presence and power of God. Their cup truly ran over. And as a result, they began to speak in different languages as the Holy Spirit enabled them. And this supernatural manifestation of speaking in tongues served as a visible testimony and also as affirmation of the Spirit's indwelling and an empowering for their future ministry and something that we ought to look back to to grant, give us confidence today. And then fifth, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. It unleashed boldness in Peter's proclamation, beginning in Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. Notice he stood up with boldness. The same Peter 
that denied Jesus at his trial. Three times he denied. And then he fled. The same Peter stands up with boldness. And then notice sixth, exalting the supremacy of Christ, preaching with authority, his sermon in verses 14 through 36. His purpose is to let them know. He goes down through all the evidence to let them know in his conclusion, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this same Jesus whom you have crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. So he under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He proclaimed the supremacy of Jesus Christ with power, clarity, and conviction. And then notice in Acts 2.37, the conviction of sinners, the impact of spirit-empowered preaching is that they were pricked in their hearts. They were convicted. Their hearts were stirred resulting in this deep sense of conviction. And so they were confronted with the reality of their sins and their need for repentance. And the Spirit's conviction moved upon them to recognize their separation from God and the necessity of turning to Him in genuine repentance. And then we see the response to the call of faith and obedience in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 39, which is a fruit of Spirit-filled preaching. Sinners were called to embrace the obedience of the faith and through the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, Peter exhorted the crowd to repent and to be baptized, emphasizing the importance of entering into a covenantal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And then ninth, the fruit of belief. Many embraced the message in Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 41. They were... A growing community of believers. 3,000 on that day. And the Lord kept con- continually kept adding to the church those who were to be saved. And then tenth, the growth and continuity of the Spirit-empowered church in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They had this vibrant and devoted community of saints. They steadfastly pursued the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And the Spirit's influence and this empowerment of the Holy Spirit brought unity and generosity and a shared sense of purpose among the believers. And as a result, the church grew and prevailed as they continued to thrive under the guidance and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was a significant moment that marked the turning point for the early church. And after years of prophecies, promises, and the ministry of Jesus Christ, 120 believers gathered in an upper room in unity, prayer, and work, eagerly anticipating the fulfillment of God's promises. Their faith and expectation were not in vain as the Holy Spirit descended upon them and empowered them for the mission that lied ahead. 
Today we can draw inspiration from their example and recover the same faith and expectation. Just as the early believers assembled in unity, prayer, and work, we too are called to come together as the body of Christ. By gathering in unity, we create an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit can move mightily among us, equipping and empowering us for the work of the kingdom. In our assembly, we are called to fervent prayer, seeking God's guidance, direction, and empowerment. Prayer is our lifeline to the Spirit, and we can not function, we cannot be successful without God's blessing of His Holy Spirit upon us. Prayer is our lifeline to the Spirit, and through prayer we open up ourselves to His leading and His power. As we align our hearts and minds with God's purposes, we position ourselves to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives and in the church. And additionally... We are called to active engagement in the work of the kingdom. The early believers were not passive spectators, but actively involved in the mission of proclaiming the gospel and making disciples. And we too are called to the work of advancing God's kingdom here in our Jerusalem. Using our gifts, talents, and resources to spread the message of salvation to a world in need. But central to all this, and our need today, is an unwavering belief in the faithfulness of God. The early believers gathered with anticipation and expectation because they believed God would fulfill his promises. In the same way, we are called to trust in the faithfulness of God, knowing that he is true to his word and that he will fulfill his promises in his perfect time and plan. So as we gather together in unity, prayer, and work, let us do it with unwavering faith. Knowing that God is faithful, may we seek the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, relying on his guidance, power, and anointing. And as we do so, we can expect to see the transformative work of the Spirit in our lives and in the life of the church and throughout the whole world, just as it was evident on the day of Pentecost. John Calvin wrote concerning what Jesus said, because as we try to recover our faith and anticipation and unity, in prayer and work, we must do so remembering what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16. He said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And John Calvin wrote concerning that, he said, Hence it is evident how the name Peter comes to be applied both to Simon individually and to other believers. It is because they are founded on the faith of Christ and joined together by holy consent into a spiritual building that God may dwell in the midst of them. For Christ, by announcing that this would be the common foundation of the whole church, intended to associate with Peter all the godly that would ever exist in the world. You are now, said he, a very small number of men, 
And therefore the confession which you have now made is not at present supposed to have much weight. But ere long, uh, long a time will arrive when that confession shall assume a lofty character and shall be much more widely spread. And this was eminently fitted to excite his disciples to perseverance that through their faith was little known and little esteemed, yet they had been chosen by the Lord as the first fruits. Which means there's still more to the harvest to come. Been chosen by the Lord as the first fruits that out of this mean commencement there might arise a new church which would prove victorious against all the machinations of hell. The ministry, death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church was the first fruits, the beginning of the harvest. What fruits are we producing? What harvest are we engaged in? Are we planting and watering? Or are we the son who, when told to go labor in his father's vineyard, said, I go, sir, but did not go? You see, it is time that Christians in Western Christendom, it is time for Christians in America, it is time we here at Holy Trinity Reformed Church start exercising true faith by being gathered in unity, prayer, and laboring together in the work of the ministry that Christ has commissioned us to do here in our local body. As members, we have vowed to commit our lives to Christ and his church, and let us not be like the unfaithful son to whom Christ compared the Pharisees as being that son who said, I go, sir, but do not go. And he told them, assuredly, I say to you, Tax collectors and harlots shall enter the kingdom of God before you. May God grant us a renewal of the faith that was exercised here in the early church. And that is, that faith is normative for the whole church throughout all time. Father, we thank you for the word giving us the events that transpired on that glorious day. And Lord, we pray and ask that you would help us to be believing that our faith would have anticipation and expectation. For we know that your word is true and you cannot lie. May we say here today, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. In Christ's name, amen.